Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today's episode is an explosive topic called Return of the Nephilim. Now, I've done my best to set the stage for today by laying important biblical foundations in earlier episodes because I do not want this one to come across like an audio version of the National Enquirer. This is a topic that must be addressed because it is happening and we're seeing signs of it all around us, although most people may not recognize it yet. Sadly, you won't hear about this from most pulpits, but this series is all about looking at what's currently happening through a biblical lens in order to warn and instruct how to deal with it. The Lord does not want us to be afraid or insecure. I'm talking about the Nephilim because they are front and center in Jesus' words found in Luke 17 and Matthew 24 when he was asked about the time of his return. He said, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. What was it like in the days of Noah? In last week's episode called Connecting to Our Ancestral Roots, we learned that during the time of Jared, who was our sixth ancestor from Adam, that's when earth was first invaded by the Nephilim. Before we talk about how that happened, let's talk about the battle between God and Satan. Since the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, Satan has been at work to pollute and seduce the human race. Why? When God created man, he created a race with his own DNA, who could think and reason and feel, who could reproduce after its kind and fulfill every purpose that the Creator ordained in managing the earth. Now, Satan didn't like that, and he wanted a race of his own who shared his DNA and who would follow and worship him. So he devised a plot to create an entire race of mixed DNA, part angelic and part human. Originally, his intent was to prevent a holy Messiah from ever being born, because Messiah could not come through an impure bloodline. When that plot failed, when Jesus rose from the dead, Satan has continued to build his army, leading up to the final battle at Armageddon. Now we are witnessing that hybrid race growing to unbelievable proportions today, and no one is talking about this. To review a minute, let's go back to God's words to the serpent in Genesis 3 after he tempted Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God declared, Because you have done this, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed. Now we know that the seed of the woman refers to Messiah who would be born of a woman. But we also learn that Satan has seed too, that he will have offspring, which he has been multiplying since that time. Remember Jesus' words to the religious leaders of his day when he said, You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was speaking of the very DNA inside of them. 
They had the seed of Satan as part of their DNA, and their murderous hatred of the Messiah was the manifestation of that seed. Now, how did all this happen? How did the fallen angels corrupt mankind? We read about it only briefly in Genesis 6, but Enoch, the seventh godly patriarch after Adam, wrote in detail how this corruption took place. Let me read you a little from the book of Enoch. And it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days were born to them beautiful and fair daughters. And the angels, the sons of heaven, lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men and have children with them. Now these angels all swore an oath, and they bound themselves by mutual curses so they would all agree to do this. And Enoch records that two hundred of them descended on top of Mount Hermon in the time of Jared, who was Enoch's father. And this mixed race began to multiply. Before we go any deeper, I need to define a few terms so we'll all be on the same page. Let's look at the difference between these terms, fallen angel, Nephilim, giants, titans, demigods, evil spirits, and demons. There's a lot of confusion about these terms, so let me try to explain the difference as simply as I can. This is important because we need to know how these entities behave and the ways they are manifesting now in our culture. Now, to make things easier for you, I have included my sources and suggested reading materials on my podcast page at CandiceLong.com if you'd like to listen to this program again or refer it to others. Group number one is the fallen angels. These are the highest order of created angelic beings. They are superhuman and powerful. They are privy to attending the divine councils. They're called messengers of God. Some scholars write that they were instrumental in the actual creation of mankind. Thus, they are experts in understanding DNA and genetic engineering. They are huge, breathtakingly beautiful, and able to reproduce. We also know they have the ability to shape-shift and change their appearances, since the writer of Hebrews instructs us to be careful in our behavior, saying we may be entertaining angels unaware. Fallen angels are also privy to the divinely held secrets of how things are done in the heavenly realm. Now much of this knowledge the Lord God kept hidden and forbid mankind from seeking it out through witchcraft and other occult arts. And it is through the promise of learning this hidden knowledge, or better term, forbidden knowledge, that fallen angels have been able to lure and seduce humans to align with them. So the humans can learn how to wield power over others and gain wealth. This is a powerful lure. The biggest difference that sets apart these fallen angels from the other angels is that they did the unthinkable. They left their first estate, meaning they abandoned the place that God had assigned for them. 
I want to pass on an insight into this character trait that was taken from a book by a 19th-century Jewish scholar named Alfred Edersheim, who accepted Jesus as the Messiah when he was a young man. In his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, he described the fall of Satan and his angels. He explained that one of our Jewish forefathers, Rabbi Eliezer, wrote extensively that the actual fall of Satan took place after the creation of man, not before. There was much disagreement in the heavenly realm where God holds his counsels that man should not be created. In other words, the angels were arguing with God. And Edersheim wrote this, While the dispute was still proceeding, God actually created man and then addressed the ministering angels. And he said, Why dispute any longer? Man is already created. Interestingly, Jonathan Edwards, one of America's most fiery preachers in the early 1700s and a founding father of the First Great Awakening, described Satan's fall in the exact same way. And here's how he wrote it. When it was revealed to Satan, high and glorious as he was, that he must be a ministering spirit to the race of mankind, which he had seen newly created, which appeared so feeble and mean and despicable, so vastly inferior, not only to him, the prince of the angels, and head of the created universe, but also to the inferior angels, and that he must be subject to one of that race which should hereafter be born, meaning the incarnate Messiah, he could not bear it. Satan refused to serve. The very thought sickened him. This is why he is consumed with such hatred toward followers of Jesus, whose very calling is one of serving others. It is this quality of refusing to serve and recognize any God-ordained authority that defines the seed of these fallen angels. Group number two is the Nephilim. These are the members of the hybrid race created from the union of fallen angels and women, upsetting God's created order to such an extent that he brought about the flood to cleanse the human race. Now, the word Nephilim comes from the Hebrew word nafal, which means to fall, and is typically translated as giants. Genesis 6 describes them as the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. These were very real, strong, powerful beings who were worshipped under many names. They were also called Titans, which were a tribe of giants that migrated and divided up the world into geographical areas in order to dominate and rule the earth. They developed elaborate religious rituals involving sex, orgies, and occult enchantments that were a constant temptation for the Hebrew people. The Nephilim were able to attract followers and worshipers because of the dark, occult knowledge that they received from the fallen angels, who were their biological parents. The sheer power that they exercised over others made people bow down to them. As an elite class, they intermarried brother to sister in order to maintain their angelic bloodline as Nephilim. Their goal was to own and rule the earth. 
Ancestral worship was and is important to them because they worshipped the ancestors who genetically passed down to them divine powers. Nephilim are addicted to magic, omens, satanic delusions, and enchantments. The most feared among them performed human sacrifices, which gave them more and more power. Six of the more famous ones were named Manus, Akman, Uranus, Saturn, Jupiter, and Mercury, and all lived during the time of Nahor, who was Abraham's grandfather. Now, though they existed before the Greek and Roman empires, the Grecians consecrated woods and groves to Saturn, which was another name for Baal. Group number three are the demigods. These were the offspring of a Nephilim and a mortal, giving them lesser divine status, not quite as large and powerful as a Nephilim, but they were still regarded in the elite powerful class. Alexander the Great was considered a demigod. In fact, he referred to himself as son of God. He believed he was not the son of Philip of Macedon, but his mother was impregnated by a god. He realized as a child he was different from other men and was known as a man with superhuman abilities like that of the giants. Research showed that his mother participated in what's called spiritual mystery orgies and was impregnated by a god. He believed his biological father was Ammon, the same god we know as Zeus. And this story is corroborated by the Hebrew prophet Daniel, which we'll look at later in this series. These demigods used genetic engineering to corrupt man, animals, plant life, and fish. Enoch records that God pronounced curses upon them for the destruction that they brought to life on earth. Next week, we'll explore these demigods a little more, but I need to say here that these spiritual mystery orgies still go on in countries all over the world, where spirits actually materialize and have sex with humans and produce actual offspring. This did not just happen thousands of years ago. It is happening today. Group number four are evil spirits. Our seventh patriarch, Enoch, explains where they came from, and I'll quote, And now the giants, who are produced from the spirits and flesh, shall be called evil spirits on the earth, and shall live on the earth. Let's pause a minute to remember who were the giants. Enoch said they were the offspring of the angels and humans, which makes them the Nephilim, half human, half divine. Enoch continues, Evil spirits have come out from their bodies because they are born from men and from the holy watchers. They shall be evil spirits on earth, and the earth shall be their dwelling. And the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, war, and cause trouble on the earth. Now let's break this down just a little more. An evil spirit is the spirit that resides inside a Nephilim, which were the highest order of the mixed race of beings, half angel, half human. And Genesis 6 tells us that God limited their lifespan to 120 years. So when their physical bodies died, their spirits, called evil spirits, lived on 
and God confined those evil spirits to earth. Still today, they wander the earth until the final judgment, looking for someone to inhabit so they can express their wickedness through. The final group we'll discuss is group number five, demons. Some scholars say that demons and evil spirits mean the same thing, but there are differences of opinion as to their origin. The late deliverance minister Kenneth Hagin explains that many Bible scholars believe that millions of years may have elapsed between the first two verses in Genesis, meaning that there was great warfare that went on in the spiritual world before man was even created. Now, accordingly, many believe that spirits that are here on earth now were part of that original kingdom. We do know that they are fallen beings, and that they are spirit rather than flesh, and that they look for people to inhabit so they can express themselves. And if people are not available, they will seek animals, such as the demons did who asked Jesus to send them into the herd of swine. We see that in Mark 5. We also know that demons manifest themselves according to their primary attribute. For instance, a warring demon will be warlike. A lying spirit will consistently lie. A seducing spirit will seduce others in any number of ways. There is another belief that comes from early Babylonian and Sumerian writings concerning the biblical flood that demons were genetically created by the Nephilim to assist them in their war against God and against man. But what do the scriptures teach about the spirit realm? Ephesians 6 breaks it down into four classes of demons. Number one, principalities. Number two, powers. Number three, world rulers of darkness. And number four, wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Now, each of these classes has rank and authority. Kenneth Hagin writes in his book, The Origin and Operation of Demons, that the Lord taught him that the class with the highest authority are the world rulers of darkness, since they rule over other spirits. And he writes that those people without Jesus are ruled or dominated by the evil spirits in what Colossians 1 describes as the kingdom of darkness. So the spirits of the fallen angels would be 100% evil. That percentage lowers with the evil spirits of the Nephilim and lowers even more when the demigods intermarry and weaken the spiritual bloodline, so to speak. Now you might say, wait a minute, I thought that they all died in the flood. Unfortunately, most people believe that the Nephilim died out in the flood, so we don't have to worry about them today. After all, Noah and his family of eight were saved in the ark and began the human race all over again, right? No. We have to look at Genesis 6 more closely. Here's what it says. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. So there's that word, afterward. Much evidence shows that after the flood, 
there were other times throughout history when the human bloodline was contaminated by the fallen ones, such as the time of the giants when the Jews wandered through the wilderness period. Satan has always sought to compromise the bloodline. And now when we are so close to the kingdom, he wants to taint the bloodline of those whom God has set apart as his children. The threat to our DNA has never been in greater danger. Do I believe that Nephilim exists today? I do. And here are three evidences for you to check out to conclude whether or not they are among us. Number one, recent archaeological findings show that giants or Nephilim settled in many locations within the United States from fossil records that were once suppressed by the Smithsonian Institute. Such archaeological evidence of giant remains exist all over the world, not just in the United States. And this leads us to surmise that giants have intermingled sexually with the humans who lived on Earth at those times, producing more and more mixed DNA peoples. The second. Since the 1970s, I have followed the research behind the UFO phenomenon and alleged abductions involving human and cattle experimentation. There is supporting evidence that government leaders, beginning with Truman and Eisenhower in the 1950s, made a secret alliance with alien beings, agreeing that the United States would allow abductions for, quote, science-gathering purposes in exchange for the space and aeronautical technology that these beings would give to make us the world power that we eventually became. Now, you can check out my resources for further study on my podcast page under resources at candislong.com. Third, well-known Christian pastor Chuck Missler, former branch chief of the United States Department of Guided Missiles and analyst with the intelligence community and the Department of Defense, has reported an estimate based on years of research that as many as 3% of the United States population may have been involved in abduction experiences. That's over 9 million Americans. Now, can you imagine the intermarriages that have resulted from those millions of people in whom was probably inserted alien genetic material? This is why the Hebrew prophet Daniel in chapter 7 described this final kingdom before the day of the Lord as, quote, terrible and dreadful, unquote. He said this final kingdom will be different or diverse from all of the other kingdoms, which is what makes it so terrible. So what does diverse mean? The Hebrew word is shanah, which means altered or changed. I take this to mean it has been genetically altered. In the final kingdom, before we reach the day of the Lord, we are dealing with something inhuman, transhuman, and we must understand that we are vulnerable in ways that we've never been before. In the next episode, we'll explore how this is manifesting today.
But more than anything, I need to remind you that if we belong to Jesus, we are not to fear. He said this time would come and that he would never leave us or forsake us. If you'd like to refer this program to others, you'll find it under my podcasts on my website at CandiceLong.com. I've listed some additional resources for you to examine if you'd like. Thank you for sharing this time with me. Today's is not an easy topic, but these are things that are happening, and we are in need of sound biblical instruction. I'm Candace Long. Join me again next time for Lessons in the Latter Days.